the Old Testament saints to come to the temple, either the tabernacle, that temporary temple of some 400 years, but also the stone temples that were built and rebuilt, was to come to feast and celebrate in the presence of the Lord and to get those blessings that God provided through that means. But the Apostle Peter says, you and I are living stones. We've been quarried out of the world. We're being built up into a living, as living stones into a spiritual house of worship. The Lord is here to bless you. And in a very important sense that I hope you won't miss this morning as we think about these things, we are in heaven, in the heavenly places. We have been transported there through our union with Christ. We're gathered together with myriads of angels and the spirits of just men made perfect in celebration and feasting before the Lord, but also in our mission as those who are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. As Elder John prayed, our prayers offered here and in heaven impact this world and the governments of this world. Never think that your Christian faith is irrelevant to the politics of this world. It is a powerful thing to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus and to agree together in prayer as his people. And we need to continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in, peer, in, and in prayers as God brings a spirit of holy, godly reverence over us to serve him and honor him. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll be preaching from the third verse, but by no means do I intend to limit myself to just that verse. I encourage you to read and meditate upon this whole letter to the Ephesians, a letter that the Spirit intends for us, the saints and the faithful here in Colorado Springs. The Apostle Paul was in prison. And he knew that the saints there were discouraged by that. And he knew that they needed to understand these glorious truths, this apostolic teaching that is enshrined here in the pages of Scripture. We too need to understand these things. Doctrine is important. Doctrine spiritually proclaimed and understood as apostolic teaching that is essential for our growth in grace helps us to stand firm when the evil day comes. It helps us in the face of discouraging persecution to, to love the Lord Jesus and to know that he's faithful. And as Peter said, to be filled with joy unspeakable, full of glory. How can we know that glory? How can we know that joy, especially when we're downtrodden or chained to Roman soldiers? How can we know that? Only through Christ. It's all through Christ and our union with Him. Paul bursts forth. A, fav a favorite preacher of mine likens it to Handel's choruses where he just bursts forth in a crescendo of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God gives untold blessings. James tells us that we're not to be deceived. Don't be led astray. Every good and every perfect gift 
comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is faithful to provide the blessings that we need, material and spiritual. This morning we focus on the spiritual. The old covenant was known preeminently for material blessings. You measured a man's blessings by his cattle and flocks, by his riches like Job and Abram. And while they had spiritual blessings, they weren't in the forefront like they are here in the new covenant for us. Our focus is on the new, uh, upon the spiritual blessings in the new covenant. We're to set our mind on things above. We're to be focused on these spiritual blessings so that we can journey through this life, this veil of tears, with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Now, I'm not minimizing material blessings. We'll think about them in a moment. But our focus is on the heavenly places and the spiritual blessings that flow to us through Christ by the Holy Spirit. From the Father, through Christ, by the Holy Spirit. I want you to see the Trinity in this verse. Often in these greetings, you'll catch a hint of the Trinity. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards was famous for pointing out that grace and peace remind us that the Holy Spirit gives us those things. So even in that greeting, there's a Trinity. There's a reference to the triune God. And I believe that without doubt, the Trinity is, is in Paul's mind here. I want to say at the outset that I'm indebted to uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great Welsh preacher from the 20th century. He passed away in, I think, 1981. But he preached sermons on this book of Ephesians in the fall of... He began preaching in the fall of 1954 when I was one year old. I didn't know the man, but I've been listening to his sermons. He preached three sermons on this very verse. He preached... 38 sermons on the first chapter. By the, by the end of the second chapter, he preached uh, uh, 75 sermons. By the end of eight years of preaching Lord's Day mornings on this letter to the Ephesians, he had preached about 235 or 40 sermons. Well, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply thankful for his ministry and the fact that you can listen to his sermons on mljtrust.org. And I encourage you to think about listening to some of his sermons. He was a, he was a man anointed by God, a, a man who preached uh, in Westminster Chapel and came there to, to serve just as World War II began. That building was bombed. Well, in, in 1954, he began preaching on this, and I have been so richly blessed. I've, I've listened to probably 80 sermons so far, and my goal is to get through all 200 and some of them. But he's the one who taught me to think of this passage as rich with doctrine about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the Father, there's the Son, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There's the Holy Spirit dispensing the blessing. The Sovereign Spirit gives gifts and graces and showers us with these blessings. 
in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, there's one more thing by way of introduction that I want to underscore that I learned from Dr. Lloyd-Jones, and that is that, that there's also an echo here of that counsel in eternity, what theologians call the, the, the covenant of salvation, the pact of salvation. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world was thinking about you and me. They were thinking about us in our fallen and tragic condition, the plight of humanity. And they drew up a covenant and swore an oath, if you will, to follow through. The Father laid out the architectural plans. The Father promised to bless each and every sinner who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, who comes to the one who can give them rest and peace, to bless them and forgive their sins on condition that they're trusting in Christ, the Son, who accomplishes what needs to be accomplished to come into this world to live a righteous and holy life, to live in poverty, essentially. His parents were not wealthy. He grew up as a stonemason, as a carpenter. He knew how to work hard, and he lived those 30 years knowing that this was part of his mission until he took up his public preaching ministry at the age of, uh, of 30 and for three years preached the kingdom of God, calling upon men and women to repent. But he also came into this world, and primarily and centrally, he came into this world to bear our iniquities, to nail our debt to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus lived a holy, righteous life. He didn't deserve the treatment, the rejection of his people. And yet he said from before the foundations of the world, I will voluntarily lay aside my glory and allow them to spit in my face and mock me and nail me to a cross and leave me there to die. And I will bear your wrath, O Holy Father, when you turn your face from me and I cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It will be for them, those that you have given me, your elect, your chosen, beloved people. I will bear all their guilt and sin and there will therefore be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Glory in that. And think what it meant for the Father, as what Joan said, to plan this. And what it meant for the Son to agree to all of this. Because in their infinite knowledge and wisdom, they knew the implications. Jesus knew. The Son of God knew that when he would be born as a helpless babe in a, a manger and laid in a manger in swaddling clothes, that he would be utterly helpless in his humanity, dependent upon the Father to care for him. He knew what it meant that he would come to his own people and they would reject him. He knew what it would mean when the soldiers mocked him, when he could, if he wanted to, call upon legions of angels to rescue him. But he endured. He loved us to the very end. He bore our sins and paid in full what we owe. And think what it meant for the Holy Spirit to say, I will empower the Son. I will come upon Him and empower Him. I will, I will give Him all He needs to accomplish His mission. I will come upon all those who are yours. They will be baptized with the Spirit and with fire through Jesus Christ 
the Holy Spirit who doesn't draw attention to Himself but gives all the glory to the Son vowed and solemnly swore to accomplish these things. This covenant of salvation, covenant of redemption had to be worked out in history. And so as we look down the centuries and we see that God entered into covenant with Noah, with Abraham, and with the nation of Israel. God was known as the God of Abram, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because of that covenant. A glimmering hint here of this covenant is seen in the fact that Paul refers to God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the God and Father of Abraham, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he had entered into solemn covenant with him to accomplish these things for our salvation. Well, that's the introduction. And we could end there. And it would be enough. And yet our, our souls are hungry and thirsty for more. We need to, to think about these spiritual blessings because it's our nature as God's children, ransomed, snatched like a brand from the fire. It's our nature to contemplate these things and to praise God for them. That's my message this morning. Praise God for our spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. So meditate on these things that your heart is just overflowing with joy and praise, equipping you to bear the winds and the sorrows of this earthly journey heavenward. In order to do this, we need to ask, what are they? Well, I underscore that they're spiritual blessings. In this context, he's not thinking about the material, temporal, or earthly blessings. And as important as they are, they're not at the heart of our faith. My wife and I have a saying, when something nice and new gets spoiled, a scratch on that new car that uh, we thank God for as a blessing, we say, they're just things. And I'll often add, they're just things destined for the fire to be melted with fervent heat as the elements of this universe are, are dissolved and the new heavens and the new earth emerge. Yes, we thank God for His material blessings and we should be thankful and we should enjoy them because all things are ours in Christ and we should enjoy whatever measure of blessing God gives us in that material realm financially and with our uh, Natural gifts in music and art, whatever they may be. Gardening is a wonderful thing. And we could go on and on and think about these material blessings. But Paul here is focusing on spiritual blessings. One of my favorite Puritan writers, Thomas Goodwin, who lived in the 17th century, in preaching on this very chapter and on this very verse, said, these material blessings are just toys and rattles. I like to say they're toys and rattles for our infancy. We have a baby, a brand new infant, and, and they're occupied by a toy and a rattle. But as they grow and mature, it, it is less interesting to them. When I became a man, I, I stopped being interested in childish things, said the Apostle Paul. These material blessings are just 
toys and rattles for our infancy and how good God is to give them to us and how thankful we are for them. But as mature men and women in Christ, even you children, we need to understand these spiritual things, this apostolic teaching and fellowship. We need to have our minds opened to, to grasp and understand these things. And so we pray for that. That's why Paul prayed that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He prayed like Moses in the cleft of the rock. God, show us your glory. That should be our prayer, to see more and more of God in his majesty and glory. Another Puritan preacher, Thomas Watson, wrote in a little book called The Body of Divinity. It's an exposition of the Shorter Catechism. And my wife and I are reading through that, by the way, because we want to be grounded and settled in the faith. We want to take little chunks of that every morning and think about it. Here's what he said in his Use 6. The Puritans like to take uh, Paul's words literally, and God's word is useful in the application of, of whatever it was he was expounding at that point. I think it's the, the knowledge of God or the wisdom of God. As God is a spirit, so the rewards that he gives are spiritual. As the chief blessings he gives us in this life are spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, 3. Not gold and silver, as he gives Christ his love. He fills us with grace. So the main rewards he gives us after this life are spiritual. A crown of glory. It fadeth not away. 1 Peter 5, 4. Earthly crowns fade, but the believer's crown being spiritual is immortal, never fading crown. It is impossible, says Joseph Scaliger, for that which is spiritual to be subject to change or corruption. This may comfort a Christian in all his labors and sufferings. He lays out himself for God and has so little or no reward here. But remember, God who is a spirit will give spiritual rewards, a sight of his face in heaven, white robes, a weight of glory. Be not then weary of God's service. Think of the spiritual reward, a crown of glory which fadeth not away. I love that eloquence. I've already mentioned grace and peace. And he goes on in this next section, verses 3 through 14, and delineates each person of the Trinity's work, the Father's work in the first verses, um, how he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. God, the Father, wants you to be holy and blameless before him in love. He wants you to be comfortable in, your pre in his presence a heart of love going out to him because he's filled your heart with his love. He's showered Christ's love upon you. And each of these sections in these verses end with praise after each work of the person mentioned. The Father, to the praise of the glory of his grace, he's done this for us. He's predestined us to adoption as sons to himself through Jesus Christ, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved, in Christ, then in his work, 
verses 7 and following, for six verses. In Him we have redemption through His blood and forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, which are in heaven and on earth. This great spiritual blessing that Christ is bringing about even now is to bring harmony and unite all things in heaven and on earth, to reunite this broken, alienated world, this universe. He intends, he is, in, he is creating a new humanity of Jew and Gentile, no longer distinction. We are all one in Christ, and Christ is accomplished that and is accomplishing it. In him also we have received an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will, that we who were the first to hope in Christ should live for the praise of his glory. And then the work of the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. In him you also, after hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and after believing in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Never preach the gospel, never share the gospel without asking the Holy Spirit to fill you and anoint you. And I'm thankful for your prayer this morning. No, you. Keith and John, I'm thankful for your focus on the Holy Spirit. I know Keith so well, I'm just getting closer to dementia. The Holy Spirit empowers the preacher the evangelist, empowers you as you share the gospel in the grocery store with a friend on the spur of a moment as you live out your light before the world. These are spiritual blessings and God will put in the heart of a sinner a longing and a desire to have what you have. As long as you're letting your light shine, as long as you're filled with the Spirit, He will give you the words. And the Holy Spirit does a wonderful thing here. I wish I could go into it, but He seals us Jesus seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit, like a seal, makes us know that we belong to Him. Well, we need to go on to the next heading in our outline. We've considered what these spiritual blessings are. How many are there? And I'll say right off the bat, I think they're infinite. God is infinite. I don't think we could count them. I don't think we in all eternity will, will be able to fully comprehend and explore the riches of these blessings that the Apostle Paul is thinking about. I've read these verses 4 through 14. These are just, depending on how you divide them, a sampling. I like to think of them as seven because I like the number seven and it's the, the perfect number. It represents the completeness of the infinite Blessings of God. There are others. The Word, the Sacrament, spiritual worship, empowerment to live the Christian life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Power to, to be a witness to the lost. Paul says he has given us all or every spiritual blessing. It's all ours. In another place he says, all things are ours in Christ. We don't need to be divided and full of strife and envy as a church because all things are ours. 
we follow Christ and he blesses us with our building in which we meet and we trust him to provide all these other things. They're infinite in number. I want to quote from Lloyd-Jones in his sermon on this verse, one of the three sermons on this verse. The next word that arrests us is the word all. Blessed with all spiritual blessings. What a little word, and yet what a mighty word. It includes everything that we can ever need. Peter, in the first chapter of his second epistle, says that all things that pertain unto life and godliness are provided for us, and that we are given exceeding great and precious promises by God. Nothing greater is conceivable. The blessings I am to enjoy in this life, all the conceivable blessings of God in Christ through the Spirit are described in a very wonderful way by Paul in this epistle. They start with forgiveness and go on to all the fullness of God. The forgiveness is mentioned in the seventh verse of this first chapter and the all fullness, all the fullness of God in the third chapter, verse 19. What blessing! Forgiveness means that your past is blotted out and cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness as far as the east from the west. God has reconciled us unto himself. We're on speaking terms with him and approach him no longer with a craven fear, but with a holy boldness and godly fear. Well, what are they? I mean, rather, where are they? These blessings are in Christ. You can have no blessing unless you're one with Christ. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And if you're in me you'll, and abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And it's my will that you bear much fruit. God wants this congregation to flourish individually and corporately. He wants to add numbers to your church. Pray that he will add numbers to your church as he sovereignly so deems to do. But pray that he would cause you to bear much fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Pray that God would, would in Christ, so awaken you to the reality of this union with Christ that you will want to, you want to commune with Jesus. You want to be reading the Bible, not just to check off a box so that you've got your devotions read, but so that you can commune with Jesus. Whoever lives to intercede for you, he's in heaven in his body, resurrected body. But by the Holy Spirit, you're connected to him. And sometimes we short-circuit that communication. Peter says, when husbands don't honor their wives, by the way, you've got to cut the telephone connection. But we in Christ have these blessings, and they only come in and through Christ. I am looking forward eagerly to a new book that will come out in, in May or later in April. It's, it's a book called Union with the Resurrected Christ by G.K. Beale. He's a very deep theologian. He's a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. But he... He's, he's a, an expert on biblical theolo theology. He spent his life thinking about this plan of redemption unfolded in history. And he shows us these rich threads. It reminds me of when my wife quilts a beautiful quilt. And she has it all folded up and then she unfolds it for me and shows me the breathtaking beauty and detail of all that she's put into that with love to bless others. 
God has unfolded his plan of redemption in history in the pages of this book. Reading scripture is like watching him unfold this wonderful quilt of redemptive history. This book, Union with, with the Resurrected Christ by G.K. Beale, according to the review, says that he focuses on Christ as the fulfillment of a cluster of 19 Old Testament end-time expectations, which he pictures as facets of a diamond that represent the resurrection and ascension. These realities attributed to Christ are imprinted on believers through dynamic union or identification with him. Through careful exegesis, Beale draws out important practical applications for everyday Christian living in the overlap of the old creation and the new. In this age where identity crises are all around us, I have a young girl on my school bus who over the summer decided that she was going to identify as a boy. She is bubbling with joy, and, and I won't say her name, but I often tell her to have a, a super-duper day. I long for her to find her identity in Christ. It's the only place we can find them. But it also, as Paul says, these gifts are in the heavenly places. And I want to recommend, if you ever listen to Lloyd-Jones' second sermon, no, third sermon on this verse, that, or read it in this volume on pages 69 and 70. For years I've thought about the, the heavenly places in this way, and I was delighted here just in the last few weeks reading and listening to Lloyd-Jones that he, he says the same thing. The Bible speaks about the atmospheric heavens where the clouds are. Beyond that are the stellar heavens where the stars and the swirling galaxies and the nebulae are. We look at them through my, uh, telescopes and wonder about these vast distances. And beyond that is the third heaven, paradise, where when Jesus said to that thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, somehow he was transported to that place and welcomed into the eternal kingdom by Christ. In the heavenly places, we're, we're worshiping. We're gathered there because of our union with Christ. We are in the heavenly places. Paul uses that phrase five times in this epistle. Study it. This first chapter and second chapter and the, and the, and the third and the fifth, uh, sixth chapters, you can find that phrase or the idea at least. We are in the heavenly places because we are in Christ and these blessings flow from the Father through Christ to accomplish redemption by the Holy Spirit who applies them to our lives. The Apostle Peter speaks about the spiritual blessings that are stored up for us in heaven. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance that does not fade away, kept in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, if for a little while you have had to suffer various trials. We are like pilgrims on a journey heaven were guarded by God, angels, and His Holy Spirit. 
moving toward heaven and that glorious entrance into the eternal kingdom where our inheritance is kept safe. It can't be spoiled or stolen. It can't fade away. It's there for us. That eternal crown of glory is ours. So don't lose heart in this earthly journey heavenward. You'll face trials and troubles because God has quarried you from the rock, from the world to shape you and form you and so that we can be firmly fitted, fitted together as one holy temple. God wants to live and dwell among us, and He does. Thus Paul's command. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You marvel at what you see, what you are, and as and, and, and what God is doing in your life? Do others marvel at the transformation that came when you, when you turned from your sin to Christ? Is that light shining? Are others longing and yearning to know what you know? Well, this evening we're going to think about the fact that we're God's holy temple in the Lord. And one of the things I'm going to bring out is that the angels are learning from this as well. The angels look down and marvel at what God has done through the history of the church. And in your life, in my life, they're learning about the manifold wisdom of God. They're learning things about God they never knew through what He's doing in your life and mine. We go to great lengths to see monuments and beautiful places like the Grand Canyon. We need, no, we need go no further than this book and our experience as God's people to marvel at spiritual rejoicing and praise God for. Let's praise God for what He's done.